Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that omits the female perspective every week. I'm James Rothwell. I'm Dan Acton. This week we'll talk about what we've been watching. We'll talk a little bit about the real news of the Oscars. The conflicts of interest this week is about is it ever right to watch a film on a phone? And our main review is Promising Young Woman, starring Kerry Mulligan, finally available legally on now on Sky. Daniel, how are you? I'm all right, or I would be all right if I hadn't gone to McDonald's this week. Why are people so in rude? I get to the drive-thru. Even when I'm giving my order, I literally am met with, Lord, please. No, welcome to McDonald's. No, hello. Just, Lord, please. Then I get to the payment window. I get a chip and pin machine shoved in my face by some cretin. She says nothing to me. At all, scan my card, goes through. Then I'm sat waiting because you don't know when they're going to give you straws now because sometimes it's at the payment window, sometimes at the next. No direction to this. So I just thought, right, oh, no, I said, is that sorted then? She was like, just nodded at me. No verbal communication again. Get to the next window, two of them there. (laughs) No beds, they don't acknowledge me at all. Too busy talking about FIFA or Fortnite or whatever. Yeah, that sounds hilarious, mate. I had to, like, just... No, no no communication. It was just so rude. And I thought, you know, all right, people have been indoors for 12 months, but these people haven't. They've been on the front line. We're supposed to be indebted to them. But they can't even say hello. Manners cost nothing, but facial reconstruction does, implying that I was going to be violent towards them. Am I making too much out of that? Am I asking too much? I don't think so, because for a global brand like McDonald's, the customer service should be higher. And they've rebranded to be more of a restaurant, haven't they? They don't have the red and yellow branding. Now it's more yellows and and browns. So that's poor. That is poor. Very poor. I hope you left a negative review on Google Maps specifically for that McDonald's and named the people involved so that they will no longer be employed. Well, I will do that. And I've also done it to the thousands of listeners who will surely never, ever go to McDonald's ever again. I'm certainly not going. For a week. Let's get to why we're here. James, what have you been watching this week? I've not covered Netflix content for a while, so I'm going to come in with Ride or Die, which is a new film. It's a Japanese film starring Kiko Mizuhara, who's a very famous model I've never heard of. Not that famous, then, is she, really? Mm. Story. Ray helps the woman she's been in love with for years escape her abusive husband... While on the run, their feelings for each other catch fire. It opens with a bloody sex murder and flashbacks to domestic violence, but it's mostly a road movie. The two women are very likeable characters, complex, and you don't know where their relationship will be when they get to the end of the road. It's a road movie. It's got a really good easy listening soundtrack, which makes it very pleasant to watch, accompanied by some nice views of Japan. There's a few scenes with very long shots, very long tracking shots, so it's very interesting to watch from a cinematography perspective. You know, some short scenes are done completely in one shot. I would heavily recommend this, and it's good to see Netflix sneaking out this more interesting international content because 
it is usually worth watching. Completely different from this is why you like this from last week and Auntie Donna's big old house of fun. Big old house of fun. Yeah. So there's these little things tucked away on Netflix to find. So two hours, 20 minutes, a bit too long, but I enjoyed it very much. Ride or die. So you say snuck it out, tucked away. How did you happen upon it? I was looking through a coming soon list for Netflix and it was on it and based on it being Japanese, set my reminder for it and then Netflix informed me about it. Very good. Anything else? Back on our shows on the BBC, it's Starstruck starring Rose Matafeo. This is on BBC Three, so you might not have heard of it. It's a comedy about a millennial who's living in London. She's from New Zealand. She's got different odd jobs as a babysitter, I think, and working at a cinema and delivering flowers. And one night, she has a drunken one-night stand with a famous actor. And the morning after, there's this comedic interaction about, oh, I was drunk, oh, you were drunk. And in the context of Promising Young Woman, it was really awkward to watch them like say, oh, well, we were both drunk. Ugh. Uh, so yeah, she has sex with this guy and then it changes her life. It's like Notting Hill, but gender flipped. I wanted to like it because I'd heard Rose Matafeo do a bit on BBC Radio 4 and she was funny. She's a stand-up comedian and they mentioned her show and I thought, I'm going to watch that because she's obviously very funny. It wasn't for me though, I'm afraid. I'm, I'm really sorry. I didn't like it very much. I laughed about three times and it was always at the quicker lines like someone is talking about a toothbrush with a speaker in it as an invention there's these longer bits where they stretch out the jokes that i just didn't laugh at i'm sorry i wasn't starstruck by it not when i may destroy you is also on the bbc and that is the work of an actual genius and is much much better so is it heavily reliant on the comedy aspect then is it not enough that the story sees it through was it just not an interesting story it's not an interesting story it's she's going about a life in london it's a struggle life isn't easy but in in not in a very complex way that makes you think like i may destroy you toothbrush with a bluetooth speaker in it still deciding whether that's actually a good idea or not definitely not crisp gloves though which was my invention that i'm still pursuing i haven't given up daniel what have you been watching this week i've avoided any tv whatsoever i watched a film That is the talk of the online town at the moment. I quite regularly frequent Vulture.com, and I mainly use it for the reviews of new true crime podcasts, if I'm honest. But I was having a look around, and I stumbled upon an article about this film called The Empty Man. And much like Chaos Walking, that we reviewed a few weeks back, The Empty Man is a film that screened really, really poorly for test audiences. It was subject to loads of reshoots and recuts, and... It's had quite a bad journey, really, this film. It also suffered from losing its producer midway through production. It sat in limbo land for years, and it finally fell victim to the 20th Century Fox takeover by Disney. And Disney just decided, this is shit, let's just dump it on VOD with zero marketing. Now, despite that, unlike Chaos Walking, this is worth your time. It's a far more ambitious horror film than Disney gave it credit for. And because of that, it's getting a significant amount of buzz at the moment. And a lot of people are claiming that it's a future cult classic in the making. And I think it might well be. 
It's based on a comic book series by the same name, and it centers on a former detective who's suffered a recent family tragedy, and he decides to help assist in looking for the missing daughter of a friend. This leads him on a journey into the unknown where he comes across a cult with rather bizarre beliefs, and I will leave it there in terms of the plot. What I really enjoyed about this is you're never quite sure what type of film you're getting, and that was a plus point for me. It kept me guessing. It's quite an odd film in many respects. The prologue alone is 20 minutes long before you even get the title of the film. It takes place in the Himalayas, and it seems completely separate from the film that then follows. It's not, but just stylistically, they're just two completely different things. The plot itself is entertaining with enough twists and turns to sustain an equally lengthy runtime, as you discussed with Ride or Die. Two hours and 20 minutes, but I did not feel that at all. And I felt like it warranted that length because of where the story goes. It's well shot. It's got some truly striking visuals that I've not been able to get out of my head. It deserves your attention. And stars, is it James Badge Dale, who was played, I think he played Chase in 24. That's the only other thing I've ever seen him in. So it's nice to revisit him after 16 years. What's it called again? The Empty Man, available to rent on Amazon Prime. Sold. That sounds great. Possible future underrated film, as you've said. What else have you been watching? I decided to fork out even more money and sticking with films that have gone under the radar that really shouldn't. I mentioned a few weeks back, I'd been looking forward to The Kid Detective for ages. Had no idea it was out. Now possessing that knowledge, I rented it. God damn, it was worth every single penny. It's a film with, I would say, quite a laughable setup that really shouldn't work. You've got a 30-something guy played by Adam Brody, who played Seth in the RC. He's trying to live on the sails of his former glory as a child detective. So back in his prime, he would be the go-to person in this sleepy town to help you find out who stole the cookies from the cookie jar or what's happened to the neighbour's missing cat. You know, really trivial mysteries. But now in his 30s, he's become a bit of a joke. Even his parents don't seem to respect him. He's basically trapped in his own delusional dreamland of wanting to be an adult private eye. And just when he's ready to throw the towel in, a high school teenager arrives on his doorstep with a proper job. Solve the mystery of her murdered boyfriend. And it goes from there. It's a really sharply written film. There's some great moments of humour in this, but it never becomes full-on farcical. There's a real dramatic story at play with this. It reminded me, in that sense, of Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, you know, in terms of how it strikes that balance between comedy and thriller. And as the plot progresses, it goes off into some unsettling directions which I wasn't anticipating and it reached a pretty shocking WTF conclusion and I was like say what anyway I'm keeping it short and sweet because it's best to unravel the film and the mystery for yourself going blind and you will be pleasantly surprised I'm going to go as far as saying this may end up in my top 10 list at the end of the year you know when you just see a film and it's everything you wanted it to be and more this was that for me. And it's by a first-time filmmaker and delivered quite confidently, which is inspiring. The Kid Detective. That's the one on Amazon Prime. To rent. Okay. Two very positive reviews there. The Oscars happened yesterday, but we record about a week in advance, so it was actually eight days ago. In any case, we're going to talk about them and about the news around them. It's the real thing. It is now... 
Nomadland won Best Picture and Best Director and Best Actress, and we've not seen it. We're reviewing it next week, so we can't agree or disagree on it, can we? No, I didn't even know we were reviewing it next week, so that was informative for me. <laughs> I think you did put it on the list, but I've not reviewed it in quite some time. So it's available next week. Sure, well, obviously it is. Yeah, 30th of April on Disney Plus, of all places. Oh, right, okay. And if they put a Disney Plus original at the start of it, like Sky have done with Promising Young Woman, I'm going to lose it. They surely will not be that cheeky to put Disney Plus original on Nomadland. Hang on a minute, I'm not having to pay an extra £30 to watch this, am I? It's part of my subscription. Oh God, I don't think so, no. We might change that last minute, let's see. (laughs) Have you seen the trailer for Nomadland? I've only seen the trailer and I thought, yeah, it does look good. I've not even seen that. All I've seen is Francis McDormand's haggard face. And I'm sold. I want to watch it. I want to see why she's so done in. But that's all I know about it. Yeah, that's right. The, all the marketing images are Francis McDormand looking tired. So, yeah, we can't comment whether that was a worthy winner. But that's what happened. The other big thing that happened was Chadwick Boseman did not win. So I owe you £10. You do. And I have not forgotten. Still waiting for it. This happened, like you said, a day ago now. Nothing's made its way into my bank account. We'll arrange it after after this call. I was so sure because on the betting odds, it was like 1 slash 43 or something. You know when the odds are so good that it's reversed, it's guaranteed. Mm. It was like that. And there's this issue of since 1938, Best Picture has gone last, with only one exception in 1972 for Charlie Chaplin getting an honorary award. And the speculation is that they put Best Actor last because they thought that Chadwick Boseman would win. But the organisers themselves didn't know Anthony Hopkins had won. So rather than ending on this huge moment of Chadwick Boseman getting a posthumous Oscar and his wife coming up and talking about how inspirational is, they got Joaquin Phoenix saying, yeah, Anthony Hopkins is in bed, so I'll accept the award. Good night. What an anticlimax that was. Why did they even do that? Just don't build up the anticipation by putting it last if they don't know. I think I've already said this on this podcast and I'm ill-informed because I've seen neither film and I think you're in the same boat, aren't you? Yes. But controversial statement, if it's the better performance, as sad as I am that he hasn't won the award, Chadwick Boseman, because it would be a nice honorary thing for them to do, the better performance should win. And maybe they've done the wrong thing because it wasn't the better performance, but I don't know. Props to them if they stuck to the guns and said, no, we've got to do the right thing here. Yeah, I agree. They probably knew when they were vaulting that they're choosing here between this big moment and what's the best performance. And I suppose most people said, what's the best performance? I have screwed myself over a bit because the morning after I watched the trailer for The Father and then there was a clip underneath that was like, I want my mommy scene from The Father. So I thought, oh, I'll watch that if it's supposed to be a good scene. That's the final scene. So I watched the final scene from The Father by accident on YouTube. I've not seen any of the rest of the film. (laughs) I'm not going to follow suit on that then. Thanks for the forewarning. The other Chadwick Boseman controversy is an NFT created of the late Chadwick Boseman was given out to some people 
in goodie bags. I don't know what an NFT is. I've looked it up. I still don't understand. It's some kind of token that has digital art on it. But I don't understand why it's a special token because you can look up a GIF of the art and it's Chadwick Boseman's gold rotating head. So there's this disturbing element here of Chadwick Boseman's golden digital head being handed out in Oscar gift bags. That's bizarre. A toothbrush with Bluetooth speaker makes more sense than that. Yeah, that says Wakanda forever when you put toothpaste on it. What made the NFT worse is that Chadwick Boseman lost. So according to Deadline.com, the NFT felt all the more like a slap in the face, both to the star and to those who admired him. To add insult to injury, this was also the lowest, or should I say, least watched Academy Awards ever. So breaking records in all the wrong ways. The viewership was 10.4 million people in final numbers. So maybe just another reminder that nobody really cares about these things anymore, but we're still discussing them. Maybe we should just stop discussing it and argue instead about how to watch these films. Bring it on. What are you talking about, you? I very much disagree with you. To you do not have good opinions. What an idiot. I hate everything. You can't even speak. Nothing you're saying makes sense. Conflicts of interest. Famous film director and man with the quiff, David Lynch, said, if you're playing the movie on a telephone, you will never in a trillion years experience the film. You'll think you experienced it, but you'll be cheated. It's such a sadness that you think you've seen a film on your fucking telephone. Let's talk about if we agree or disagree. Daniel, what do you think? This feels like a bit of an extension of a previous Conflicts of Interest where we discussed viewing habits and subsequent crimes playing on your phone and such. But we didn't discuss this particular issue. Now, if you'd have asked me three months ago, I would have probably been quite passionate on the, it is a crime, do not do this at any cost. If you do, I was going to say something quite wrong then, but bad things should happen to you. It's not something that I typically agree with. However, over the past few months, situations have cropped up and I've felt the need to, for this very podcast, because we have to stay up to date and we have to consume content, I've had to resort to viewing things on my mobile. It's not my preferred way of doing it, but... I have found that, oh, I don't want David Lynch to have a target on my back here. If you've got your headphones in, it can actually be quite an immersive experience. And I wasn't anticipating that. It's not something I've ever done until relatively recently. So I'm a bit shocked to my core, James. I don't know. I don't know where I stand on this. I think if the need arises, then you should. But if you've got a better method, i.e. a television... Watch that. What about you? We're going to struggle here because I've got very similar comments to you, including the exact same point about headphones. I accept that it's not right. It's not ideal, but it is possible. And they've made it possible. We have the technology. So why not do it? And with the phones that we have now, with the retina displays, very rich colors, it looks fine. If you have your phone close enough to your face, It's as big as the TV in terms of how much of your eye space is being taken up. And I'll be completely open and honest with you, listeners. The past 10 episodes, I've watched the main review on my phone, including Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, that has has shocked me. So advantages, if you're using AirPods Pro 
to watch it, it is an immersive sound experience. More immersive than my TV speakers, I would submit. Toilet breaks don't interrupt the viewing. Take your phone with you. Disgusting. I've done the same thing. I'm not judging. And you can't look at your phone while you're watching it because you're watching it on your phone unless you swipe up and then have the in-window viewing in the bottom corner, which I do occasionally do if I'm thinking. I know who that guy is from Superbad. Yes, he is. Minimize. Bring it back up again. What have I missed? Oh, I wasn't listening. Rewind for a minute. Okay, I was about here. So, okay, I accept it. You do still have the distractions, but I've done it, all right? I've done it a lot. And as mentioned, I would have probably judged you a lot more harshly if we'd had this conversation a few months ago. But, yes, technology has reached a point where it looks pretty damn good on your phone, and some people have not and cannot, for financial purposes, invest in a TV that's going to give you an all-singing, all-dancing, full HD experience. So you might actually find it better on the phone. What about that? My dad still has a full TV with a big back end on it. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure there's not that many people in that situation. But still, for some people, it just works. Let me ask you a question, though, James. Is there anything that you should not watch on the phone? Are there any exceptions? I would have said Godzilla versus Kong, really. Blockbusters don't really lend themselves to this type of thing. But anything else? Lawrence of Arabia. <laughs> okay specific i was going to say anything that's primarily subtitles based would not be great yeah good point i was hoping we'd have a disagreement but yeah again we've failed we've not so nobody can be punished no i was hoping we'd have a disagreement with the way that you responded to my text i thought you were going to come in hard but it's not happened has it should we just rebrand this section as agreeing on things maybe convex of interest (laughs) we turn in on each other i'm gonna to have to look that up what convex means right should we discuss a film that you watched on your phone then yes hello i'd like to order an opinion please this film is new fresh point of view promise it back this is a fact we in the aisles here are some aisles thoughts in sync tell you what to think i'll listen to you but please don't rap again this week's main review is promising young woman Here. Every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that. Really? Can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is? <laughs> what do you want? I don't know. You seem nervous. No use hiding from the piper. Oh. She has to be paid. Why do you guys have to ruin everything? a day of reckoning promising young woman tells the story of male protagonist ryan ryan is a kind funny charming pediatric doctor who does everything right and his life is on the right track until he meets the sinister cassie a crazed psychopath whose quest for revenge hurts everyone around her at least that's how i saw it because i'm a man and an idiot who doesn't understand anything You didn't understand it because it's a young woman traumatised by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. Daniel, what did you think of Promising Young Woman? At its core, it's a revenge thriller 
and in that way it works extremely well the events that drive the revenge aren't fully revealed until well into the film's running time but it doesn't take a genius to put the pieces together it's about sexual assault now tv's plot description actually tells you that so i don't think that's a spoiler so you follow carrie mulligan as cassie on this path of darkness of holding men and women but primarily men responsible for their actions or lack thereof there is definitely a joy to be had in watching these people get the comeuppance and i i did enjoy it but at times the extremes that cassie resorts to does make you have quite a rocky complicated journey with her character and how you feel about her at times you revel in what she's doing and at others you think maybe she's gone a step too far but what the film cleverly does is show that the criminal justice system and society in general is so overwhelmingly broken, whether that be through apathy, ignorance, an unwillingness to believe victims, or in fact, character assassinate them. And it's because of all that that she's resorted to this sort of behaviour. I think it's an important film in so many ways. It probes difficult questions about consent and culpability. And I do think it's an education piece for men, really, in how frequently women feel victimised or objectified and how significantly that can affect how you approach a situation with someone of the opposite sex. Now, this all sounds very doom and gloom, and given the subject matter, you would think it's quite a depressing affair. But it is not a one-note film. It has quite a lot of facets to it. It's partly a romantic comedy, and that I didn't expect. And I also didn't expect how that side plot would feed into the overall story. I am trying to be vague with that. I think it's a brilliant performance by Carrie Mulligan because she's got the unenviable task of treading this line between being likeable slash relatable, but arguably reprehensible at the same time. But I think she does pull it off. Emerald Fennell, who's best known for her acting work, she's definitely a talent to look out for. I really like her directorial style. How she chooses to split the film into chapters too, it has this sort of double meaning, which I appreciated. Special mention for the music in this film, I think it's jarring in terms of how out of place it should be, yet it isn't at all at the same time. Each song seems to completely complement the scene, and it is without a doubt the best use of a Paris Hilton song I have and ever will see. Fennell also wrote the screenplay, and there's very subtle use of language in this film that brings added weight to the proceedings, and I'll talk about that in more detail in spoilers. It does feel wrong to call a film like this entertaining, but I really thought it was in spite of that subject matter, and I think that's, again, a testament to her direction and screenwriting. However, I will end on a negative. The final 10 minutes of this film felt a bit too overly contrived for my liking, but again, we can discuss it in more detail shortly. James, what did you think about Promising Young Woman? I feel like we're both treading on eggshells. Without a doubt. Yeah. I'm going to be positive as well. I'll say that right up front. It's hard, though, because I've seen everything that is going to be said about it before I've seen it. So I can't have my own reaction to it because we've been told what the correct reaction is and that I should watch this and that I should value it. I'll keep it simple. Plot. The revenge double life thing that it's sold on is abandoned, I think sort of early on and it becomes a rom-com parody i would say instead i really like that it mashed up the styles i didn't know where it was going but it does all tie together nicely i wasn't sure on the events of the last act though emerald fennel who you've already mentioned there as the writer director i do think it is a special piece of work it's a full 
realization of her vision and i love watching someone deliver completely on their vision acting kerry mulligan right a typical actor will show one emotion at a time a better actor will do two kerry mulligan does three emotions minimum in every moment and often does four there's so much going on just look at her face at any point she's angry she's depressed there's sadistic enjoyment but it's also somehow funny as well it's an angry film in some ways and it makes its points quite forcefully as it should but only carrie mulligan could deliver it sympathetically and realistically the marketing is all about her dressing up and humiliating evil men but she's somehow vulnerable as well you can see that it's having an impact on her it's not just pure empowerment she's too good she's just too good and i've i have had a binge of that other carrie mulligan material like an education wildfire collateral oh she's just awesome the message of the film it starts off being very clear and then it gets more complicated it's not all men are evil it's definitely not that there are unpleasant women in there as well there are men who are just fine elderly men usually and it is an education and i feel like i need to watch it again and reflect on it more because it doesn't give you all the answers it's not as easy as the marketing would let you think i'm not trying to take anything away from the importance of the film and what it's attempting to bring attention to but i personally don't feel it would have had quite the reception that it's had if it wasn't for the timing of it following the me too movement this is definitely not the first film that's attempted to bring this to the forefront We've seen a number of stories do this before. It's Hollywood and the Oscar people needing to make up for the fact that they knew things were going on, but nothing was said until it became fashionable to say something. Yeah, hit the nail on the head with that. That makes complete sense now. And I'm not. I'm glad that it's getting this amount of attention. I genuinely am, because it is important, but it just feels out of place with other things that have occupied this space. But there you go. All for positivity and a bit of change, so nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and selfishly, it's two British people doing it, Carrie Mulligan and Emerald Fennell, who was the first British woman to be nominated for Best Director. Daniel, would you recommend Promising Young Woman? Hell yes. You? Yes, I would. James, have you any more general comments before we move on to spoilers? No, let's go into spoilers. Bruce Willis. Real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. Things start off, as you see in the trailer, Cassandra spends a time humiliating horrible men that try to take advantage of her when she's drunk. She develops a relationship with Ryan, played by Bo Burnham, and it turns out that she's motivated by the suicide of her friend Nina, who was assaulted when they were in college, and Cassandra tries to take her revenge on Al, but she gets killed in the effort, but she has an elaborate scheme to get him arrested anywhere using video evidence. Video evidence that also shows Ryan was laughing along 10 years ago with the assault, so Ryan doesn't escape blame either. Shocking, that ending as well, especially with her dying. I did not see that coming. I think we both said, pretty sure I'm remembering that rightly, that we weren't a big fan of the end. Is that right? Yeah. 
Now, I, I've watched this twice now, and the first time I watched it, I actually hated the ending. I thought it ruined it. Second time round, because I knew what was coming, I had a completely different reaction. Because like I said before, at first I thought it was a bit too contrived and a bit gimmicky. Oh, I've set up all these deliveries to go out at a certain time and I've scheduled these text messages. Far too convenient, although possible. Second time around, I thought they've actually stayed true to what the messaging is because it's this bittersweet triumph in a way that's possibly trying to convey the message that women are often at the losing end of this and they had to show that. But at the time, when I first watched it, I thought, this isn't right. But now that I've viewed it again, I think maybe they made the right decision there. I just don't know if there was possibly a better way of reaching that final conclusion with them all getting arrested rather than it feeling a bit heavy-handed, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. The end in itself, when she dies, yes, I was shocked as well. I literally, literally, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I couldn't believe she was being suffocated and dying. I thought, she's going to get out of this. This isn't the end. And that did leave a bit of taste in my mouth and that's why it lingers with you because it doesn't give you any easy answers. What point is it making? Is it that you can't escape your anger, you can't move on? Is it saying there's no justice? Is the ending a victory at all? And it does make you feel like uncomfortable, but that's what makes it so good. Yeah, with my interpretation of the ending, what I think the film is trying to say is revenge is futile but it's all we can actually resort to until there's a huge attitude shift and a recognition that things need to change can i throw in a comparison out of nowhere do it have you seen gran torino with clint eastwood when it first came out i don't have a good memory of it but yes spoilers for gran torino Clint Eastwood's neighbour is assaulted as well and beaten violently. And Clint Eastwood has to decide, what do I do about this gang of youths that outnumber me and outgun me? What he does is he stands on their front lawn and he pretends to pull out a gun. They shoot him to death. It turns out he doesn't have a gun. It's a heroic sacrifice because all these lads all get done for murder, basically, after the original assault was ignored. And it reminded me of that, but it wasn't a heroic sacrifice done by Cassandra. Or was it? See, again, I still don't know. I think there is a lot to be had with revisiting this film a few times. I don't think it is that in your face. It warrants a deeper dive, doesn't it? But we're both fresh. We've only just watched it, so maybe we have to digest it. And maybe that's why it should win Best Screenplay, because it's so complex. The romance. Did you see it coming that Bob Burnham was part of this? No, I didn't. I did think that the romantic comedy stuff, the Paris Hilton song montage, I don't think that was sincere. That was a kind of parody. Because if that was real, it was cringy and awful. But I think it was trying to be a past, it was successfully being a pastiche of romantic comedy. And I guess it was a setup for the fall later on. Once it's revealed, it's almost a bit devastating because the, the brightest, most uplifting part of this film. Is just ripped from beneath your feet and and hers. And it's quite a depressing thing, really, that I didn't want to happen, but I understand that it kind of adds to the message. But on that, trying to be careful, I mentioned that this is like highlight, well, we both have, it's highlighting pressing important issues. But I do question how progressive the messaging of the film is when there's not a redeemable male character in sight. I think you didn't really feel that. But the only thing that made me not get too annoyed by it was 
that it's not purely men, as you said, that it condemns. There's, there's women who stayed silent or didn't act like the principal or Alison Bree's character. But to not have one positive male presence, I'm just speaking personally from my experience with the film. I felt like it was a bit of an attack. I just thought it was a bit out of order to not offer a counterbalance of at least one person. I suppose you could say the lawyer, Alfred Molina, he's in on it. He's part of the problem, but at least he acknowledges what he's done and he repents. She forgives him. But that that's just me. If you want to stop listening to the podcast because of that opinion, I understand. I think it's an attack that should be done. And I think if you're going to make this film and make some of the points that are being made, just go full on. Just go all the way and let someone else make a more balanced one later on. Have Wonder Woman 1984 that has Steve Trevor being really nice <laughs> when everyone else is awful. Yeah, no, do you know what? That's that's fair comment, that. I think sometimes you have to be a bit ballsy and break a few eggs to make an omelette, I suppose, I should say. Yeah, I'll, I'll accept that. I'm in the wrong. I was right to be pissed off. It's probably what they wanted. Just a final word on the, the language and the dialogue, which I've mentioned in the review. So she's accused of being crazy, a sociopath, a psycho. And sometimes that's in response to pretty bad stuff she's doing, such as <laughs> kidnapping someone's daughter and leaving them in danger. Other times for just not allowing herself to be raped. But I thought it was interesting how prominently she was called these things by somebody and it's not something i noticed the first time around because in retrospect you realize how out of order it is and how casually those terms are thrown around especially when you learn more about why she's doing it it kind of justifies her actions to a degree because the terminology is problematic and they do this several times because there's another bit where you know when she refuses to go out on a date with bob burnham because she's busy and then he discovers her trying to lure someone out the club and he thinks oh she's just playing me the guy who she's hanging off the arm of, he says to her, oh, she's all yours. So she's like referred to as, as an object. And then this all kind of builds up to the point where, you know, she's sat in the road and this guy calls her a stupid C word because she's having a bit of a breakdown and she just kind of loses it. And it's the first time where she just makes a very rash decision that is just not justified. I mean, fair enough, he's called her a stupid C word. So yeah, maybe it was, but smashing someone's windscreen in, I felt like it was a bit much but then it did feel warranted. Yeah, that was good. The The everyday sexism was weaved into it. You know the scene where early on she's being catcalled by the builders and she just stands and looks at them? I loved that. I loved that scene. I was cracking up. How they start off being all cocky and stuff and then there's this gradual transformation to them. Being, oh, just, yeah, what are you looking at? You, uh. She just destroys them by standing there and looking at them. I love that scene. And also, again, with the dialogue, did you notice how there's like flippant comments that just wouldn't normally have so much meaning to them? Like, And especially from the women. So Madison, the Alison Brie character, Cassie asks her, do you still think about it? And she responds by going, why would I? She had a reputation of sleeping around. If that's the way it is, you won't be believed. It's just so flippant that you can see why it fuels this need to have vengeance. And also like where the principal, what does she say? Oh, yeah, we, we had countless reports of this sort, as if it's and what. And when Bob Burnham is exposed as being complicit, he says, I was just a kid. There's yeah. lines like that all the way through. That's why the writing's so good. All that just really helped validate a cause, really, and it's just very well done. We've walked on the eggshells. The eggshells are broken. We'll leave it there. From promising young woman to a promising Oscar-winning film 
Next week, we're watching Nomadland because it's available finally legally in the UK. Are you looking forward to it? No. <laughs> I hope I hope to be pleasantly surprised, but I just I don't find myself wanting to watch this. So time will tell. Maybe I'll come back with a blisteringly positive review next week. Okay. And if you'd like to leave us a blisteringly positive review on iTunes, please do so. And also you can support us by following us at In the Isles Podcast on Instagram. Goodbye. Goodbye.